0: I'm super excited to announce our guest. Uh, this is Alim Danji. He is the chief people officer and executive vice president at Equinox, which is uh, one of America's premier uh, luxury fitness companies and, and brands. Uh, Alim, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on our show. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to, to join you both. Aline, let's just jump right into it. Jess and I have had an opportunity to look at your very extensive uh, and varied uh, background. You've been in the uh, people development space for 25 plus years. Uh, You're now at Equinox after holding uh, very visible influential positions at, at Adidas and a number of financial services companies. What has led you to Equinox now after 25 years? Can you talk a little bit about your journey?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I'm uh, very excited to be at Equinox. I think it's the way that I could uh, stick to a fitness regime and be committed to because I'd be pressured by all my colleagues here. Um, But actually more than that, um, it it is an opportunity to be part of a community that I've long admired. Um, So I was actually an Equinox member uh, way back uh, 12, 12 to 13 years ago. And I always thought that the, the company was special and created a, uh, a unique proposition in the market. So when, when the call came up to come in and help scale the company, um, it was exciting right away. But what I didn't know about Equinox was that uh, the group, in fact, also ran uh, a hotel business, uh, SoulCycle, as well as Blink, which is a national um, fitness chain as well. And then beyond that, the uh, aspiration to scale uh, globally uh, really excited me as well. Um, And so all the sort of coming together with the added um, incentive of reimagining the talent strategy for coming
0: was really hard to say no to. So, are you the chief uh, people officer for Equinox's entire portfolio, or is it specific? You are. Uh, Can you share a little bit about, for those of us who may not be familiar with the Equinox Group, what that entails?
1: Yeah. um, So, you know, 32 years ago, um, Equinox was born, and the company has since scaled really defining luxury fitness and wellness, uh, primarily within New York. And then they scaled the company um, across the US and then into the UK and Canada. And so a very special and unique RAND proposition was created, which was then um, leveraged to consider how you you can uh, rise another business. And in New York, that was in the hotel space, probably one of the toughest markets to create a luxury hotel business uh, right before the pandemic hit. So timing was probably not I- ideal, but that hotel has done phenomenally well on any kind of metric to look at, which then goes to show the power of, of the brand itself at Equinox and how it can be extended into other businesses um, and provide for what I think um, the community is looking for, the broader community around wellness and premium experiences. Um, so in addition to that, the company also acquired SoulCycle over the years and then created Blink, um, and, and done phenomenally well as well, over 100 clubs in Blink and over 60 studios in, in SoulCycle. So it comes together as a, a sort of conglomerate of um, uh, high-performing uh, wellness brands.
0: And you have the uh, not-so-small charge of overseeing the employee experience across all of these different... Brands, can you speak a little bit to your your vision and how you're doing that right now? Appreciating that you've only been at Equinox for uh, seven, eight months now.
1: Yeah, it's it's a role that I take uh, very seriously. As you mentioned, I've been in the people space for for quite some time, uh, but I do think that there is a difference between organizations that create merchandise and and you know sell through stores. Uh, as was the case in Adidas um, versus professional service. And 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 in this instance, it is really about creating luxury experiences through our talent and the culture that we have within each of our clubs. Um, and so it is truly a privilege and, and a major responsibility um, to being given that opportunity to, to lead the function. And so for me, it is really about following a principle that I've always uh, held, which is um, a talent strategy and culture should always be in service of your corporate strategy, and that might not sound as profound, but it is. It is not always instinctually easy to to, to get right off the bat, um, and and often HR programs are created um, because they're looking at best practices at other organizations, or you're you're thinking about having a competitive recruitment program. Um, But I would actually say we should start first with what is our corporate strategy and how do we make sure we've got the right culture to deliver on that strategy? And that will I think lead you to a a point of differentiation and competitive advantage rather than just mimicking what is done at other organizations. And so one of the things that I've come in um, and I was very fortunate that uh, the leadership team uh, gave me that space was to take 90 days literally to just explore. And I started off not with my HR team, and they may have been disappointed there, but actually went into our clubs and I traveled um, across all our regions to really understand what should be the proposition out there by first understanding what it actually is today, Um, connecting with members, connecting with the um, community we call our workforce community, connecting with the community to understand what they need to provide those unique experiences to our members. And so very much a customer-centric view uh, viewpoint first. And through that, um, you're able to really determine what should be the culture uh, going forward. You, you, you wanna leverage as much of the past that you can, and but also think about what do we need to do to scale the company going forward. So I spent 90, 90 days doing that, and then I played back um, my observations and, and thought about where we really need to fine tune um, um, and, and that comes down to two or three things that we want to become famous for. Uh, for us, uh, and I'm focusing more on the Equinox clubs as opposed to, you know, Blink or SoulCycle. But for us, um, it is about defining a unique experience um, through through a talent lens. And therefore, what we call the Equinox Fitness Institute is that primary anchor, um, acronym being EFTI, in case if I end up using that. Uh, acronym, But it, it, it is really about making sure that our fitness talents are the best. And that means how we attract them, also how we develop and retain them. And so it's really, really important for us to have the type of learning culture in an organization where we're developing the best fitness talent by having the best faculty, having um, constant innovation and learning. Um, so our, our main proposition is about career growth and, and learning and development. The second big uh, opportunity for us is we've got different pockets of employee segments, everything from personal training to uh, our maintenance teams to our spa teams. Each club, they're, they're very large clubs, has a Pilates business. They have a personal training business. You have a spa business. You have a, a retail store. So you've got a number of different business segments. And making sure that you've got a unique employee value proposition for each one rather than just a neutral one that cuts right across. One of the things that has happened over the pandemic um, is that the world went virtual, right? And so if you're a fitness um, a consumer of fitness services, your personal trainer was likely uh, engaging with you virtually through Zoom or some other forms of uh, uh, um Web conferencing, and that happened to last for about two years, and then now people are coming back into clubs, and we've seen a great return, by the way. Um, but the role of personal trainer has shifted, and how they engage with their members has shifted. So we need to reimagine those talent strategies. There's no template out there. I can't. I can't go to another club or another gym because we 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 are a talent, or sorry, we're, we're a category of one in that sense. There aren't too many luxury fitness providers out there. So whatever we had to do and are doing now has to be through the eyes of innovation. Um, how do we rethink what our proposition to the personal trainer is? Uh, so that, that is another big opportunity. And the third, I would say, is what many organizations are uh, working on is this opportunity of reimagining the future of work. And that is everything from our corporate teams coming back into, uh, into the office. Um, also, after the tragic murder of George Floyd, thinking about social justice and how each of us um, lean in and think about DEI in a different way going forward. Um, so there's a lot of work around rethinking the culture uh, and how work gets done. Uh, so that, that, that would be my
0: third priority. No, it's fascinating. Let me double-click on this last point, kind of reimagining the future of work, I would think, based on what I've seen, based on what I've read, that overall health and wellness is is surfacing. It is becoming a forefront issue for many organizations. So when you talk about an organization's, you know, overall talent strategy, where it must be in service to the overall corporate strategy, Um, I am seeing that an individual's comprehensive health and wellness is top three, top five. You find yourself in this industry where you are a provider of luxury health and wellness. Uh, Are you seeing this surfacing in more organizations, overall corporate strategy, how we take care of the health and wellness of our employees, and, and how might Equinox play a role in that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I'm seeing a mixed bag, uh, to be honest, Spencer. So some organizations have really understood the power of wellness, and um, coming out of the pandemic, I think the next pandemic that we're in is mental health. Um, and the focus that some organizations have to it um, are, are, are fantastic. That includes, you know, subsidizing, encouraging um, their employees to um, participate in, in more fitness programs, um, and and some are, you know, using the checkbox just by offering, um, uh, you know, subsidized memberships rather than creating actual. Um, cultural attributes to enable people. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I know of an organization that uh, subsidizes a gym membership, which is great, but it's kind of frowned upon if they were to go to the gym during working hours, right? So it's it's one of those that you have the proposition, but culturally you're not making it any different for individuals to find that balance, and so I think that if you're going to create a proposition out there, your culture has to reflect that proposition. It can't just be um, a checkbox uh, on, on your ESG,
0: um, you know, template. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Jess, is this prompting any questions, thoughts on your end? Yeah, I've got lots of questions.
2: Uh, you know, Liam, I think this mini series has been really fun for me to do a Spencer, um, kind of because we come at it from different angles. Um, you know, on my podcast, I'm constantly talking to high growth founders who, you know, grew their company to several hundred million or into the billions. And many of them are faced with this idea of like dealing with HR at levels that maybe they haven't before. You know, they go from having a dozen staff members to thousands in like a very short period of time. And so I guess what I was kind of fascinated about your experience is you've got all the time finance, you know, TD and Scotiabank and, and uh, city where I used to work and, um, and then, you know, professional services, KPMG, um, and, uh, and so much with HR and talent development things. Um, and then president at Adidas Canada, and then back to, uh, over here in more of this, um, CHRO leadership type of role. I'm interested, uh, specifically, you know, coming off 20 years of, of background, that role as president, what kind of new insights it gave you that you're now bringing to Equinox in this uh, people leadership role?
1: Yeah, no, the first thing it confirmed um, that at the end of the day, whether you're in a p role or, or a functional role, it's about the same thing. It's about making sure you've got the very best team around you, that you're setting around the conditions for success for your, for your broader team, um, and that you're connecting strategy with execution, and making sure that, that there's there's clear alignment. Um, and and so, crossing over from HR to a PNL role was not as difficult. Now, doing it in the midst of a pandemic and a supply chain catastrophe, um, not a great idea. But it was still you know fantastic and lots of crucible experiences from that regard. Leaving a PNL role back into HR. Um, I would do things quite differently. You know, so when you're in a P&L role, one thing you learn right away is that it's, it's, you get a report card every day. Right? You, get, you get to know how much capital you brought in for the company. Um, it, it, whatever data you're tracking, it's available. Whereas some of the HR functions that I've been in, you don't get that much data every day. And so being grounded and pragmatic, um, and thinking about those strategies that we like to think about uh, in, in HR or other corporate functions, how does it land? How does it enable the people manager who is um, you know, leading a team that's facing off with the customer, how do we make their lives easier um, so that they have the resources and um, the, the, the systems to, to accelerate their performance? Um, sometimes we get caught up in in doing everything in a best practice type of way, um, but it's not as practical as it needs to be. So performance management is a good example. You know, Theoretically, we want uh, all these checkpoints. We want them to follow this thing in the system and have these conversations. Um, general managers, people managers get hit with so many different tasks on a day-to-day basis that they need to prioritize and make sure that they're, they've they got enough time delivering value to the customer um, and being able to deliver value to their to their, to their their team. So we've got to make that an easier thing for them to do.
2: Yeah, uh, it's so much more fun to play a sport when you've got a good scoreboard, right? Right. Um, so I was looking at the stat, uh, back to Adidas for a minute, of like, you know, helping 1,500 staff grow revenue by like 34%, am, am I getting those numbers right? Yeah. Can, can you talk about what that looked like of tying the strategy, tying strategy to execution? Because I think all sorts of people with a mature brand like Adidas would love to see 34% growth.
1: Yeah, I, look, I, I think part of that is innovation um, and thinking about untapped markets, opportunities. So for, for us, it was what's happening in the world um, and, and looking at which businesses within the portfolio were underserved potentially in Canada. Um, for me, it was, uh, the outdoor market, which is odd because Canada, you know, has a tremendous amount of outdoor resources, whether it's skiing or trail running, et cetera. But we've got an, we had, I guess I should stop saying we at some point, but, um, Adidas had, uh, has an amazing product line called Terex. And, um, it was not introduced in any meaningful way in Canada for a number of reasons. And so we played a big bet on introducing Terex and we saw significant take-up on on uh, on that product. The second is um, returning to Canada after being in, in Germany for some time. Um, I quickly noticed that there there was a lot more luxury um, uh, consumption in in at least in Toronto and Vancouver. And uh, Adidas has an Originals line, um, and, and lots of collaborations. We have a um, product called Y3, a, a line called Y3, which is at the higher end, a uh, price end. Um, and so we took another big bet there. Um, and then the third thing we did was um, we said, well, what, what matters to, what are the moments that matter the most to Canadians? And you know, Canada is a very rich, diverse country. And in Toronto in particular, where 50% of the net sales for Adidas happen, um, it was about celebrating pride. Pride was one of the largest in the world. Uh, Caravana, Big Caribbean Festival, one of the largest in the world. Um, there was the World Cup. There, there, was, there, were, there were these moments that really mattered, and so we, we focused on those moments and made Canada and Vancouver one of our key cities. And uh, through that, we were able to turn, um, I guess, grab market share from, from competitors and, and turn that into revenue streams. So it was very, very, very profitable.
2: Yeah. So my follow-up is, you know, Spencer and I, this has been such a fun series to get, you know, all these different kinds of chief learning officers and chief HROs. uh, uh, I guess that's redundant, (laughs) but uh, we've been able to hear these different things. And I think the ones I've been the most fascinated are the ones who like genuinely partner with the CEO and, and are like truly driving revenue and profits for the business. So I guess my question for you being on both sides of the fence there is if you had advice for high growth CEO, as they're choosing chief people officer, CHRO, you know, that that type of role, what are some maybe non-obvious things that that you would advise a high-growth CEO to be looking for or to be, you know, maybe going just more than surface deep to go like, is this person framing the people work in terms of the business growth? Or how would you advise them to navigate that uh, people selection activity?
1: Yeah, uh, so the first I would say is that the, there's got to be strong uh, business and financial acumen, um, and and really testing that through the number of HR people that I've interviewed over my career, uh, for my own team or other people's teams, you know, business acumen, financial acumen is always on the CV. But then you ask them, how does your company make money, and and you sort of get this glazed look on their face. Um, I, I think you need to understand what the levers of performance are in the organization. What is the operating model? Um, what what is the value creation process in the company? If you don't understand that, I think it's very very difficult to align people strategies that are going to have maximum impact of performance. And even when we're thinking about compensation and, and which which of these levers should you incentivize in which way, you need to understand how the value creation process works. That's one. The second is um, I think markers are high potential people and those that will keep up with change and innovation, someone who is uh, humble and, 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 and always curious about learning. Um, I think that ego sometimes prevents that. But if you can check the ego and be in a position of vulnerability and always want to learn, then I think that you can add maximum impact um, because you're, you're continuously improving your skill set rather than just relying on a playbook that you might have had in the past. Um, And the third, I would say, is having a sparring partner or or an advocate, because in many ways, the CHRO is is a consigliere uh, of the CEO, and you've got a special relationship with the CEO, uh, different than the CFO, for example, because you're often talking about the performance and the optimization of that performance of the senior team. And sometimes that also means giving feedback to the CEO that they would otherwise not be getting. Um, and so you develop a very close, trusted advisory relationship
2: um, that actually helps the CEO maximize their, their, their performance as a leader. Taking that to the next step, so high-growth CEO, they're, they're having this, uh, you know, maybe the, the company is becoming multiples of its previous sizes, and they have they have, you know, found a way to go more than surface deep on the items that you've just brought up but then they're also realizing, hey, we need to upskill the whole team and, and we need to do this at scale. Like it's different when there's two dozen people and, and this founder knows everybody's names instead of like there's two dozen people at, <laughs> at all these different locations and now we're into the hundreds or into the thousands of folks. Um, when you think about um, this concept of like hire as good as you can and then, in, and then help them upskill themselves What's your philosophy when it comes to that type of, of learning and development that's that's um, actually competency-based? It's not like yes, we took the one-way download, but we're actually like we're actually proving they improved a skill rather than they sat through a training
1: Yeah, uh, no it's a, it's a good point and I think that the whole corporate university concept has evolved um, you know that traditionally you would have Uh, a suite of products or or, or a suite of courses that a company has invested in, and then they just keep putting more and more people through that program. Um, I think things have changed. People learn different ways. It's more, more, in my opinion, about being always on. And um, a learning function, therefore, makes sure that they're clear about what the core capabilities of the organization are. And then having a mechanism for people to self-assess where they are in meeting those core capabilities, invariably there's going to be a gap, and that gap is going to be a different one for each each person. But then that's where the the art and science comes together: is how do you curate the the sets of experiences and/or knowledge or content that people can can pull from? Um, that can be LinkedIn Learning, that can be books, that can be podcasts, that could be. Um, uh, TikTok these days, it it, it could be a number of different mediums where people can pull content that's relevant um, and, and and just in time. Sometimes it's 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 a two to three minute um, you know session, and so, sometimes it's a couple of days. It may be conferences, um, but long I, in my opinion, long gone are the days of we're going to send you away for this three day session and you're going to come back uh, with with a body of knowledge.
2: Um, Spencer, you've got a whole career in learning development, you know, uh, I don't know if we talked about this before Spencer's role at WGU, you know, they got like 150,000 students, but he specializes, specializes on their big corporate clients, so like, you know, Amazon, McDonald's, Apple kind of stuff. Spencer, I know you've got opinions about this stuff. What yeah. What are your questions?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Alim, I want to circle back to a point you made at the, um, outset of the show. And this was your 90 day, uh, you know, observations going from coast to coast, going from club to club. And you mentioned that one of your goals is to seek out and recruit uh, the best fitness talent. Um, I, 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 I'm curious to understand uh, your philosophy, your position on what we're seeing more in the mar- marketplace, and that is companies are moving away from degree-based hiring, and they're moving to skills-based hiring, and that is really hiring for p- potential, one's potential, rather than uh, credential. Um, I, I suspect the health and wellness uh, space is is different than others. Um, is this something that is happening right now at Equinox? Is it something that you're looking to, to advance at Equinox? Can you speak a little bit to that in your philosophy? Sure, sure.
1: So. Um, because we deliver premium services to our, to our members, our, our primary goal is to make sure that um, the, the personal training, for example, is superior. And so we never want to drop the, the level of quality uh, in, in what we offer. Having said that, what we find is that we can't just go to the market and look for personal trainers who have been certified and, and, and learned about their craft at other gyms because we do offer something unique. And so whoever we bring in are gonna go through um, cultural assimilation, but also our own EFTI body of knowledge. And in doing that, then we said, well, actually, why don't we just hire people that have a passion and that, that uh, have the capabilities, the, the, the personal qualities and attributes that would make them a successful personal trainer and then have them certify with us and we'll cover that certification. And so that leads us to an, all kinds of new opportunities. And so one opportunity that we were very proud of is we, we, we partnered with um, a, a veterans organization externally, and, and we put out a press release about this a couple months ago, that we're looking to hire 5,000 personal trainers over the next two years. That's a daunting number. Um, and the, the relationship we have with the veterans is that they fit a certain psychosocial profile of resistance, uh, or sorry, resilience. Um, they're they're um, interested in fitness. Um, they're uh, able to demonstrate commitment, et cetera, et cetera, um, and then put them through a national certification which we pay for. Uh, and once that is done, then they go through the EFTI program with some of our more seasoned um, uh, personal trainers uh, and, and and leaders to to become what we would deem as a qualified Equinox personal trainer. And, and then the learning doesn't stop there. As I said earlier, there, there's all kinds of content that would be given to them um, based on their interests. So if they want to specialize in nutrition or, or group um, training, you know we can make that happen. Um, but you're right. I, I don't think that it's as um, uh, predetermined that if you have a degree, you'll be more successful than someone who doesn't have a degree.
0: Um, one of the things that we're seeing in the marketplace, I'd be surprised if you're not, is that there's always the need for that technical skill set. It's incredibly important, but there are these emerging power skills that are becoming more pronounced, especially in the age of artificial intelligence. And these would be leadership and communication, customer service, you know, retention uh, to to detail. Um, I'm curious to know the, you know, career advancement strategy uh, that that you're beginning to shape at at Equinox, Um, these individuals that may, you know, begin on the floor. You know, what does advancement look like, and how might this institute help these these employees with their advancement? Yeah. Um, So we've got,
1: you know, different segments of the workforce but if we stick with personal trainers um, there are tiers of personal training that we provide so there's an advancement level at each tier and uh, you, could, you could pick up new capabilities as I said around nutrition or um, around a particular type of um, uh, training um, whether it's dealing with certain types of equipment Um, you could also become a massage therapist, so you're doing more of the, um, therapeutic work. Uh, so there, there's all kinds of technical, um, advancements, but you can also then go into management levels, um, whether you want to become, um, a, a team lead or a personal training manager, you could become a general manager of a club, an assistant manager of the club, um, and then varying levels beyond that. but as, as you climb the, the, the ladder, if you will, uh, for leadership, uh, that's where we are prioritizing efforts and making sure that we've got the right content and um, um, apprenticeships internally for people to learn new skill sets so that they can move off from the dance floor to, to, the, to the balcony,
0: right? Uh, what, one other question, Jess, and then I, I'm sure you have some. I, I'm Every industry... Uh, is changing. And I think at an accelerated rate, I, I suspect even within the world of luxury fitness, it is changing as we look to more personalize that experience uh, for the client. Uh, how is digitalization uh, you know, changing the face of health and wellness for clients? There certainly is that, I suspect, you know, in-club experience, that one-on-one experience with the trainer, but how is that being uh, supplemented or complemented with a a digital experience?
1: Yeah, so many exciting things happening um, in this space, and some of which I cannot talk about because they're they're, uh, in development and and we're going to go to market soon with it. But uh, look, we're Many of us wear Apple Watches or Aura Rings or the, you know, there's all kinds of like gadgets out there and it tells you when to stand up and what to do what. Um, you're always being supervised, right? But the amount of detail that you can get and information about yourself is amazing. And, and I think we're just getting started, especially when you think about the impact of AI um, and um, connected devices. Um, one of the advantages we have of all our members that come in, the amount of data that um, they they share through their wearables and and also with their personal trainers, is you're able to blend this sort of data from from wearables to the relationship you have with your personal trainer and then create something really magical um, that helps shape their wellness and and their approach to their own fitness. Um so I think, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there and it'll probably revolutionize how we think about the role of personal training. Um, but also beyond that, uh, how we think about spa services and other forms of wellness. Um, there's, there's all kinds of different uh, experiences and treatments out there that, that we're experimenting with. Um, so I, I'd say we're, we're getting um, just started and, and uh, the future is bright in that space.
2: You know, Ali, maybe um, as we're we're kind of winding down here a bit, um, I kind of want to go back to something you talked about, and I guess it's because I'm thinking about the scale. You know, I think you guys have like over 17,000 employees now. You just talked about hiring another 5,000. This idea of across the board, having people be able to look at the skill sets needed for their roles or for you know the promotion they're hoping to get, and be able to self-assess and then help design their own plan to achieve. You know those those competencies to you know reach their goals, be considered for the promotion. Um, I guess I just would love to hear your advice for for high growth CEOs or other leaders who are looking to do this at scale. Can you get into granularly? Like, is this a is this an online assessment they're doing? Is this with their manager? What does that look like? I've always found it successful
1: um, in organizations. Whether you know, I used to be at startups and I've been at, as you said, very large organizations, but. Whatever the organization is, is to make it as simple as possible for, it, for your workforce to understand, A, where you're going. And I know that doesn't sound too profound, but it doesn't always happen, right? What is your North Star? What is the way in which you're going to succeed in having competitive advantage? Number two, what are the core capabilities required to achieve that uh, competitive advantage? And then enabling your your talent um, through both self-assessment and a discussion with your with their manager around uh, what's what's missing, what is the opportunity, and and then if you can define those critical experiences, those sort of those badges. I used to be a Boy Scout, so badges are uh, always important to me. Um, what badges must you collect in order for you to be qualified and um, experienced in that specific capability? If you can make that very clear without making the process or focusing too much on the system, just conversations, I think that already creates great value in making sure that your competitive advantage is built through um, talent and culture, which is so much more difficult to replicate than just investing in, in the latest technology or, or, or you know, um, an uh, acquisition it is truly about creating something special with your culture and service to your strategy.
2: So can you rest through an example? Like, let's say you've got somebody in, in the upper levels of management who's really, you know, willing to willing to put in the effort it takes to get enough of the of the right badges to get into that highest level of leadership in the organization. What What might that look like? Was there, you know, they're talking to their manager who is at the highest levels of leadership?
1: I think it's being transparent, so if I go back to my example, You know, a conversation that I had with my former CEO at, at Adidas, um, he remembered a conversation that I had around not having had P&L experience early in my career, but then I also got fortunate that I was able to get to a certain level in the organization um, where I was in a leadership role, and at that point, it's much more difficult. It's, there's more risk in, in going to a PL and l role. Um, but he had confidence that that is something that I would be willing to, um, lean into and, 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 you know, having your vulnerabilities, um, on the table enables you to learn more. Um, and he also sent me to, to Harvard to take the MP program, which I was very fortunate for, but I think that if you're able to surround yourself with the right learning program, um, you can then be in a in a in an environment where you can learn new programs. So it's that cross functional role. In my instance, was really really valuable. It comes down to every individual. You know, sometimes, um, if you're an, if you're in the opposite, you're in a PL role and you want to get into a corporate function. I would say that individual. You know, give them a project to run that takes them out of their comfort zone. Create a bit of a blast radius so they're not going to blow up the company. Uh, they put me in charge of Canada. Canada is a big PNL, and uh, 800 million, so it's, but, but Adidas is, is a much larger organization. It wasn't gonna blow up the company. Um, but, but it was a meaningful enough opportunity where I learned something. And so I think it's about creating the blast radius for someone to, to learn, but else actually deliver at the same time, and then replicating that over and over again. I would say to that CEO is take those risks uh, with, with the right talent and make sure that you create the conditions for success. Because as soon as you see that one person be successful, others are going to want to take that risk as well. Other leaders in your company, as well as other um, employees who are, who are not going to see that as a risk to their career, but rather to, as an accelerator.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, uh, originally, I, I was an art school major. I was going to be a pro snowboarder, and I thought I'd be responsible, go to college. No <laughs> I went to art school. Of which I promptly dropped out to become an entrepreneur, um, but I, I took an entrepreneurial break and I actually went and worked for Spencer's cousin at this great consulting firm called the Arbinger Institute, and uh, they they paid for me to go back and take university classes, and it was super insightful for me. Uh, I'm interested in what you feel like you got out of that experience. I mean, I mean, it's the entire program is is phenomenal.
1: Um, my my first week, uh, it was maximum imposter syndrome because you, you sit down with uh, a bunch of other people who are very accomplished. You know, I sat down next to um, someone who's a general of the Australian Navy and the commander of, uh, it, it, it was like the you know, president of Coke. It, it was just really interesting. Um, and, and the conversations were just as meaningful, and I'm talking about the dinner time or, 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 or you know, late night conversations, and there were many of them, where you learn from each other. And you forget that in organizations you have that. You have so many amazing people that you work with. However, there's greater risk. You're not as vulnerable. And so when you, when you have that guard up, sometimes those conversations don't happen. Whereas if you're in an environment like the one that Harvard created, by the way, you're there for five or six weeks and it's Monday to Saturday from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. So it is, it is very intense. And you're you, the way that they design the program. You're you're living in quarters, and so you get to know these individuals more than your family. And in fact, you start talking about your family with them. Um, I, I it made me reflect that when was the last time that as an adult I was able to be put in that situation where I could just learn from my peers um, with with everything on the table. Um, that coupled with the case study method, and you're constantly learning about how other companies have solved. I mean, we went through hundreds of case studies. Um, so the mental gymnastics were amazing. Uh, and at the end, I have a network of 190 people. And at any given day, there's 40 messages that have transpired in my WhatsApp. Uh, so it's a community that you develop. Um, so it I was phenomenal. I was very, very fortunate to do that.
2: You know, I uh, I'm just kind of smiling, you know, as a, as a dropout uh, uh, and an entrepreneur, a lot of people think that I am not that interested in the post-secondary world. but so I went, I went and did one program at Harvard. The, the one Arbinger let me do was at Stanford. And like now as I look at some specialty skill sets, like I kind of wanted like the fancy name schools so I could like for my own self-image a little. But now I'm like more interested in like who has the exact program for like a certain skill set I want to learn for, right. for future ones? You know, the world of AI and the way the media world is changing and stuff like this. Um, and so it, anyways, I just identified with a bunch of things that you said of like, you know, like it was a lot more reading of like reading all these case studies to get ready for stuff, but it was interesting to like be sitting in this room with, with people, similar parts of their careers, but who are also looking to level up too. And it was a different conversation than I had at work. I, I found that as well.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, we talk a lot about diversity, um Jess, and and uh, the power of diversity really came through. There were um, people from more than forty different countries, all kinds of industries, varying levels of of um, career. Um, and you learn from each other. And there were people that were experts in finance, people that were experts in in acquisitions and corporate restructuring. Um, the learning was untapped, and it still continues, which which is which is amazing. Uh, plus, yeah. I've made a childhood commitment uh, to my mother that at some point I'd go to Harvard, so this was my only shot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Spencer, I'm going to put you on the spot here, this is what you do all day. I- I'm interested, like, you have these big organizations, Apple and Amazon and stuff that come to you guys to put their people, you know, people who want to get extra degrees. What's like the feedback? What, I mean, obviously, Alim and I have our personal experiences, but what's like overall feedback you get from, you know, all these hundreds of students from these big companies?
0: What's the, like the theme? Yeah, it's a great question. In fact, last week we were in DC for an event. At that event, we had one of our very, very large clients, the director of their education benefit program, and, and one of uh, their employees uh, who recently graduated from WGU. And it was excellent seeing this exchange between the two. That is the architect of. Their education benefit program, and a recent beneficiary of that, and there was just you know so much gratitude. I mean, it kind of goes back to one of your earlier comments, and that is, there has to be cultural buy-in for Fair. these objectives, and it has to be it has to be very deeply rooted within the organization. It just can't appear on page two or page three. Of the you know six-page corporate strategy, you really have to put your money where your mouth is, and it's really um, invigorating to see these companies that actually uh, do that. Um, and so, just amplify that you know thousands of learners over uh, just across the country at, at some of our our, our, our client partners. Uh, Aleem, if- I know we're getting close on time, but I you know you've inspired me with your um, this executive education experience that you had at Harvard maybe just a kind of a lightning round question what are you reading right now or who are you watching that is really inspiring you do you have like a go-to source or person uh, right now at your at your time at Equinox outside of Equinox that that is really giving you inspiration for where you want to go next
1: it's a good question. I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old um, and I read a lot of um, Dr. Seuss and uh, <laughs> so I, I will try not to quote Dr. Seuss but um, there is a lot that ad- adults can learn from Dr. Seuss. Um, right now I'm reading a lot about the psychology and anthropology of teams and the, re- the reason why um, is intellectually you know we're all coming back from this world where we were, we were working in our apartments, or houses, and we're coming back and the teams have changed and we haven't mourned what was lost. It's just kind of a strange space. And and at the end of the day, when I think about large organizations or small organizations, there, there, there are tribes and there are employed resource groups that are focused on certain diversity um, factors, elements, and then there are um, people who are interested in technology, people who are interested in AI, and, and the teams coming together can create a lot of magic. And so I, I'm just trying to understand, for my own intellectual uh, stimulus, is is how do teams work optimally um, as we learn about how tribes existed? Um, so I've got, I've got some books, in fact, um, there, there's one that I'm reading right now by Seth Godin. It's not a it's not a brand new book, but it's called um, Tribes, um, and and I've and I've started reading that. It's a very tiny book, which is great because it it helps me balance my commitments to Doctor uh, Seuss. Um, but yeah, tribes Tribes is what I'm looking at right now.
0: Well, that's fascinating, fascinating. We'll have to share a few book recommendations back and forth. Sounds good. Well, this has been great, Aleem. Thanks for making
2: time for us. My pleasure. If if uh, you want to look at going to work with Aleem, where, where are the best places to look at careers for Equinox? So on our website's uh, primary spot, we
1: have um, lots of opportunities. Uh, we continue to scale the company. Um, so whether you're in Canada, the U.S., or the U.K., uh, Equinox.com is the place to go.
2: Great. And then... What about uh, if they want to learn more about you? Is LinkedIn a good place or where are you online? LinkedIn's probably the best place. If
1: you can find me on TikTok, then uh, that's going to be embarrassing. Um,
2: (laughs) But LinkedIn's probably the best place to go. That's great. Well, thanks again for doing this. And thanks, everybody, for listening.